Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we begin a new study of the Gospel of Mark. If you'd like to dive into more resources like this one, check out our resources library at thevillagechapel.com resources. Our team carefully curates a variety of articles, books, and video content. We pray that these tools will help you to think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Jim. Hey folks, I'm so glad you've joined me once again for our continuing study of Mark's Gospel today, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, and we're launching right into the public ministry of Jesus. He's going to be up in the area of Capernaum. That was an ancient village on the uh, northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. I've been to the ruins and uh, several times, actually, and it's just an amazing experience to sit there in the ruins of the synagogue. Uh, the ruins that are standing today are 4th century, and below it is the foundation of the 1st century synagogue, and uh, very highly likely that uh, that is the synagogue that we're going to read about in uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28 today. Let me uh, pray, and then we'll read the text. Thank you, God, for your word that it's living and active. Pray today as we read it that you'd give us a clearer vision of your truth, a greater faith in your power, and a more confident assurance of your love for us. Pray this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen and amen. Mark 1, 21 through 20, it goes just like this. And they went into Capernaum. Now they must be at least referring to Jesus and the four disciples he has just called uh, prior to this portion of Mark chapter 1. That would be Simon and Andrew, brothers in the fishing business, James and John, another set of brothers in the fishing business. The four of them will become part of the 12 disciples and ultimately apostles uh, of Jesus Christ as well. So they go into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and began to teach. Now there are 40 immediately's in Mark's gospel. There are 10 in chapter one alone, and this is yet another one. We'll have another one to read in just a moment, but Mark is an action-packed gospel and you can listen to it with that uh, anticipation that the narrative is going to continue to move at a pretty rapid pace. So here they come into Capernaum. It's uh, immediately on the Sabbath. They go right into the synagogue. Jesus begins to teach. You can see them kind of uh, shuffling in in their robes and sandals and people from all around Capernaum there. Uh, looks to me, as we stood in those ruins, looks to me like a couple hundred people could actually fit in a synagogue that size. And he begins to teach, verse 22 tells us, and they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In other words, that's another, maybe a nice way of saying the scribes didn't teach with any sense of authority. Jesus taught. And when he did, there was something about what he said and the way he said it that resonated right deep into people's hearts and minds and souls. 
and gave them a sense of amazement and wonder because Jesus seemed to have some kind of authority. Well, what kind of authority did he have? Of course, we at the Village Chapel have studied our Bibles long enough to know that he's, according to John chapter 1, Jesus himself is the living word of God. And he was present at the very beginning of all creation in Genesis chapter 1. Because John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so Jesus, the Son of God, uh, actually present at the creation event, actually present here with these people in this particular synagogue, speaking with such authority that these people are just amazed. And you know what it's like when you've heard someone speak and they don't seem to have any authority. They don't either, either they don't seem to believe what they're saying or they don't seem to understand it. Uh, They're not very convincing or persuasive, but Jesus is all of the above. He is amazing them because he taught with the kind of authority it was as if it had all just come straight from his heart, which we believe it did. Right, verse 23, just then, and so right while he's sitting there, right where they're all listening to him, um, a man was in their synagogue and he cried out and he had an unclean spirit, verse 23 tells us. And he said, verse 24, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Well, I'm sure that was shocking for anybody sitting in the synagogue, even if they had some bit of, um, you know, point counterpoint, some discussion, that sort of thing. I'm sure it was all courteous, but here comes this man who seems to clearly be possessed by some kind of demon. And he, this demon, is crying out from within this person, identifies Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. So again, very well aware of Jesus' name and where Jesus came from and wondering what in the world Jesus is doing there in the synagogue. What do we have to do with you? And then even further, out of the fear that this demon has, he says, have you come to destroy us? And then the demon goes even further, revealing a little bit of his orthodox theology. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And it's fascinating to me that throughout the gospel records, a lot of these folk who are struggling with demon possession, as they encounter Jesus, they'll say something similar to this. And they seem to, these demons that are possessing and oppressing these people, they seem to have knowledge of who Jesus was and uh, they seem to acknowledge who Jesus was in a way that you would think the religious leaders would have. But no, the religious leaders reject Jesus, and they're constantly, uh, as we progress through Mark's gospel, we'll see this, they actually turn, in, turn out to be the enemies of Jesus along the way and fight against him in every way. But here's these demons inside of this man, and he's got this, this set of demons have 
at least some basic knowledge, some basic theology, and understand and recognize and acknowledge who Jesus is. How will Jesus respond is a great question. Now, I've said before in our study of Mark's gospel that he seems to be posing two questions. Um, Who is Jesus and how do you respond to Jesus? It's interesting to hear. We're going to get to see uh, how Jesus responds to these two demons. We've seen them respond to him. They've acknowledged who he is, the Holy One of God. You know, not just another rabbi, not just another synagogue official, not just another one of the Pharisees or the Sadducees walking around on the ground. No, the Holy One of God. And so Jesus, verse 25, this is Jesus' response to these demons possessing this human person. Jesus rebuked him, the demon who's speaking. And how many demons there were in this person, I don't know. But the fact that the demon speaks in the plural means he's at least got company inside that person. Be quiet, Jesus says, and come out of him. You see, Jesus didn't just see a loud man, an interruption to his sermon, an interruption to the flow of worship, um, to the, reg, the you know, to the, to the uh, liturgy that you know, in some way, they, this guy has just offended them or something. No, Jesus saw the man, the human being that needed to be set free and delivered, and so Jesus speaks to the demons, and the demon forces within this guy, and Jesus rebuked them and said, "Be quiet." Come out of him. Now, what happens after that? Verse 26, throwing him, the human being, the man, into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And that's because the demons had no choice. When Jesus commands, they must obey. They must do what Jesus says. Because Greater is Jesus than all of the demonic forces put together. And so this demon or group of demons that were speaking in the plural, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? There it is, all plural. Uh, literally makes this man, you know, throws him into convulsions and crying out in a loud voice comes out of him because Jesus commanded them to do that. Verse 27, you, you know, probably the entire synagogue goes quiet. People are just, you know, shaking and trembling for all that's gone on, all that's happened. And it says in verse 27, and they were all amazed. That's the second time. In this passage, the people have been amazed. Verse 22, they were amazed at his teaching. Verse 27, now they're all amazed at what he's done. (laughs) So beautiful. And they debated among themselves. So there's this murmur, this discussion going on. And they were saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. There's that word again, that It's just so important. That was in verse 22 as well. They recognize him as having authority and speaking and teaching with authority, not as the scribes did. And 
and and they're just in amazement and wonder. Who is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And then we'll close our passage today with this last verse, verse 28. And immediately, there's another one of those from Mark, the news about Jesus went out everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. That's the uh, third, the northern third of Israel at the time. And so without Twitter, without uh, Facebook or, or X, I guess the platform's called these days, without any kind of social media, uh, without radio, without television, the news goes throughout Galilee about Jesus, about his teaching with authority, about his having authority over demons and having delivered this poor soul, this poor human being, this, this man, who in this synagogue, sitting there, right there in the church with all of his need, um, and even on the Sabbath, you know, Jesus does this. And you have to take note when you're reading through the Gospels, the kinds of things that Jesus does on the Sabbath and in the synagogue. Um, so many religious people get uptight so quickly about their holy day. And, uh, and they, they'll set up all kinds of tradition and rules. We'll see this as we go through the gospel record um, that we'll, they'll be offended at some of the things that Jesus does to set people free on the Sabbath. And Jesus will make it very clear that he's Lord of the Sabbath, that the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he, Jesus, does a lot of corrective teaching and uh, instruction throughout the four gospel records. Well, um, one thing that we see here, if we can kind of draw a parallel, is that the devil and his minions uh, were at work in the ancient synagogues. And I would argue they're still at work in our modern day churches as well. Their goals still, to me, seem to be deceiving, disrupting, um, distracting, discouraging, dividing, defeating the hearts and minds of all who gather to worship the living God, and bow before Jesus as king. And along comes Jesus into this darkened world, this oppressed nation um, under the tyranny of um, uh, the very evil and often violent Roman Empire. And Jesus enters into all of that darkness, Jesus, the light of the world, and begins to reverse things. And it's really powerful. It's beautiful. The miracles of Jesus, we'll see throughout Mark's gospel, <clears throat> are much more than just a bit of supernatural sensationalism. Um, uh, there are at least five reasons why I think Jesus does these miracles. One, to arouse curiosity about himself. And it worked right here. Who is this? They're asking questions. Um, we'll see... As we go through, we'll see over and over and over again, these crowds just become massive following Jesus uh, based on his teaching, based on his deeds, his um, miracles. And so arouse curiosity, display his authority over demons. We'll see over diseases, over death, and over natural disasters like storms. And really powerful. Um, Jesus' authority as the Son of God as the co-creator with 
God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And we, again, connect the dots between John chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1. And you see the whole, all, the entire Trinity is at work in the creation event. And um, so the miracles of Jesus arouse curiosity. The miracles of Jesus display his authority. They reveal his compassion. Uh, he was moved uh, into action by love. Uh, love for this man. He saw a man. He didn't just see an interruption or an inconvenience. And he wanted to set that man free. Um, so his miracles arouse curiosity, display his authority, reveal his compassion, affirm his identity, the identity of Jesus. If he's a son of God, you would think he could do those kinds of things. If he really is the Holy One of God, as these demons actually say he was, recognize, acknowledge who he was, tremble in his presence. And if he, if he is all of that, you would think he could do these kinds of things. Walking on water is nothing for someone who created both water and gravity. So they affirm his identity and last, they inspire a response of worship. And uh, once again, we do see that, I think, percolating at least here in verse 27 and 28, when they're all amazed and the news spreads far and wide. And I just love that about Jesus and about reading the Gospels. Well, just a couple of quotes here today before I let you go. But <clears throat> first of all, Mike Iaconelli. Uh, Mike was the head of uh, uh, youth uh, ministry organization here in the United States. And he wrote a book called Dangerous Wonder that I think is just really great. Uh, he's gone home to be with Jesus uh, some number of years ago. But I remember reading this uh, this book and uh, this particular quote just jumped out at me. He says, the greatest enemy of Christianity may be people who say they believe in Jesus, but who are no longer astonished and amazed. Jesus Christ came to rescue us from listlessness as well as lostness. He came to save us from flat souls as well as corrupted souls. And that's so true. See, Jesus, in doing that miracle in public like that, in the synagogue like that, um, he's not coming just to divide himself from the religious leaders. As a matter of fact, even on the cross, he's going to be saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Um, Jesus came for all of us, no matter where you're at, no matter what the disposition of your heart is right now toward God, no matter how much distance you have put between you and God by your own rebellion behavior or selfishness or unbelief, which is at the core, really, of all my sin. All of our sin is unbelief. Jesus came to rescue us from all of that. And he did that quite clearly as we read through these gospel records in at least two different ways, his words and his deeds, his words and his works, if you will. And I'll close out today with this quote from John Stott. In the ministry of Jesus, words and works, gospel preaching and compassionate service went hand in hand. His works expressed his words and his words explained his works. Uh, that's just brilliant. Now, I'm not finished with the quote, but I'm going to go back to the beginning of it again because I, I want you to hear that. In the ministry of Jesus, words and works, gospel preaching and compassionate service went hand in hand. His works expressed his words 
and his words explained his works. It should be the same for us, says John Stott. Words are abstract. They need to be embodied in deeds of love. Works are ambiguous. They need to be interpreted by the proclamation of the gospel. Keep words and works together in the service and witness of the church. That's from John Stott, an article he had written called Evangelism and Social Responsibility. Let's do that today. Words and works. Let's keep them together today. Let's pray the Lord will open our eyes to see opportunities, not only to have the gospel fall freely from our lips, but to be seen visibly in our works, in our deeds, in our relationships, in the way that we're eager to repent, quick to repent, and quick to forgive as well. Uh, may, the, may the gospel flow through us, the grace of God flow through us today. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this passage today. I pray that you'd use it to inspire and guide us today. Pray this in Jesus' name for his sake and glory. Amen and amen. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.